Well, good morning again. Man, it's a glorious day. You know, every time we get together, it just seems to get better and better, man. I just, uh, I'm just blown away with it all. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn to, uh, pardon me, Mark's Gospel, Chapter 5. If you are visiting, we are doing a series. We're going through the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. We're about a year and a half, maybe a little past a year and a half in his earthly ministry. And uh, again, I think we're going to pick it up. Well, we'll pick it up at verse 21. But let's just read this account together. Mark 5.21 And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. He besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she, and she shall live. Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. And when she had heard of Jesus, she She came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? He looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. He said unto her daughter, Thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that, that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus there said, Be, be not afraid, only believe. He suffered no man to follow him, save Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he comes to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why why ye make this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he takes the father, the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and enters in where the damsel was lying. He took the damsel by the hand, and he said unto her, Talithia kumi, which is being determined, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. Straightway the damsel rose and 
walked and she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them strictly that no man should know it. How do you keep that quiet? And commanded that something should be given to her to eat. Would you be kind enough just to stand one more time with me with Bible in hand and let's pray together. Father God, again, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word, Lord. And uh, Lord, we wouldn't be foolish enough to enter it without coming before you first. Lord, again, we're always reminded that your word is alive, powerful, it's active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It is your word, Father, that you speak to our hearts, to our minds. And it's, it's your word that conforms us more and more into your image. So again, Father, if there's anyone here this morning that's just, I don't know, Lord, maybe they're going through some crazy things. I just pray that just for such a time as this, that you would allow them to receive your word without any obstacles or any hurdles, that they would be able just to hear what the Spirit has to say this morning to them. We thank you again, Father. We ask to keep the enemy at bay. God, again, we just want to go home being able to testify that our Lord Jesus spoke to us directly or collectively. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. Thank you. Again, this might be a, a, a story, an account in the Bible that you're real familiar with. But I don't know about you, the more I keep studying the word, the more I keep thinking, where have I been the last 30 some years? You know, I've read this thing a million times and, you know, there it is right before me. But yet that's why we call it a living word. Amen, guys. So you can never grow tired studying it. You really can't. And again, the Bereans were called that people of noble character because they rightly divided the word of truth. And again, I'm just so blessed to be a part of this church because I think that's, that's our MO around here. We love the Bible, amen? Anyway, um, going back up to 21 again, and let's go through this thing as we study it. It's a, again, he passes again by ship to the other side. Now remember, he was in the gatherings and he dealt with the demoniac. And I don't want to prolong the intro here because I do have a lot to co cover here. But... Um, he goes, he goes over to the gatherings, he deals with the demoniac, you know, and he's, um, now he's come back again. And it tells us there uh, that, that there one, there's a ruler comes to him of a synagogue, and his name is Jairus. And when Jairus saw him, in verse 22, he falls down at his feet. And then it says in verse 23 that he besought him. The Greek literally means that he's begging him. This isn't just some respectful thing that he's doing by kneeling down before him. He is literally begging with every inch of, of fiber in his being, man. And he comes down, he besoughts him. He goes, and this is why my little daughter is lying at the point of death. And I'm praying that you would come lay hands on her, that she may be healed and she may live. Just a side note, this is not a general practice for a religious ruler of a synagogue. They did not pray for each other by anointing and laying on of hands. Somehow he has heard about this. He has heard about Jesus. Maybe he's actually seen Jesus do this in the area of Capernaum. The laying on of hands, you know, speaking a word sort of thing. It goes on and he knows that she's going to live. 
And then in verse 24, Jesus went with him and much people again followed him and thronged him. That word thronged, by the way, just so we have a clear picture of this, you know, it literally means to be pressed on each side. So this isn't just a kind of a crowd that's following him. And sometimes we have a mental picture or we might see artwork depicting that, that there's this huge crowd. No, these people are literally, Jesus is walking kind of inch by inch through this crowd and they are just thronging him. Uh, jostling him. He's being pushed back and forth, literally is what the Greek indicates. And I like doing that kind of thing because, again, uh, we get these mental pictures, meek and mild, Jesus, you know, there, there's sometimes that when you study the Greek word, you go, wait a minute, that, that's just more than a couple people following him. This guy that walks up to him out of nowhere, Holy Spirit letting us know that he's a religious ruler, uh, I'll touch on that in a second. Um, you know, th- this, this is intense, an intense moment, you know. And so, again, if you don't mind, I'm going to back up and just hit a few things. He falls at his feet. He's pleading. And, and rarely do you see men doing that. You know, where someone gets to that point where, man, they, they don't care what's around them. This, this thing is so urgent in their lives this guy now is just making a scene here. And this man, he's falling down. Now we know why. It tells us in verse 22, the, the cause of his desperation. His kid's sick. His little daughter. You know, and uh, most of us in this room have been through something like that. If you, if you are a parent. You know, and, and again... I don't mean to keep bringing up old stories of mine, but it just fits so much. I remember the day where our doctor came in and told us that Tim had spinal meningitis and he probably wouldn't make it to the morning. Let me tell you something. You're as a parent holding a year and a half old kid, your son, and your doctor saying you better get things right because, you know, your kid's dead in the morning. You, 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 You lose it. You just you go numb. You know, you're looking for something to bow down and pray and beseech someone. I, I was so beside myself. I called my dad for some reason. I don't know what he was going to say. He just said to me, I guess this is where faith comes in. What? So uh, you, all of us, though, would agree that this would become a nightmare for any parent. Any parent. The request is that you would just come and lay your hands on her that she might, she might be healed and, and live. Now, I, I want to say something here. And I just, listen, that, that, that word, by the way, that she may, she may live, Zoe, uh, that she might be back to her old self. That she would be this, this 12-year-old little girl again running around between our legs. That, that's the word there. It's, it's a different word that, that she would just have life again. He wants her back. He just wants her little 12 year, his 12 year old girl back. And uh, now, now I want to say something. I want to be very careful here. You might look at this and you might think, man, what faith, right? White faith. But, you, but in reality, it's not the purest faith. It really isn't. But it is faith. And I'm not trying to minimize Jairus at all. But when we look through the scriptures and we really study the subject or the topic of grace, our faith, it's not the purest faith. I think in Matthew chapter 20, or I'm sorry, Matthew 18, 
when the Satorian, a Roman soldier who had a hundred men underneath of him, when when he went to Jesus, he says, I need you to, I, I need healing for my servant. And Jesus said, Okay, I'll go with you. Now if you remember that story, the Satorian said, You don't need to do that. I know what authority looks like. I too am a man under authority. If I tell somebody to go, they go. All you have to do is speak your word, and I know my servant will live. Now, now my point is, is what Jesus said after that. He looks at this guy, then looks at the crowd. You can read this, Matthew chapter 8. And he, he marvels. The word marvel literally means it blew his mind in Harry's paraphrase, right? He says, I have not seen any, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. See, so that's why I say, Jairus, it's faith. I'm not minimizing it, but it's not the purest of faith. Even this, this gal in our story that we just read through, her too, her faith isn't the purest faith either. You know, she's got a lot of hang-ups, a lot of things that they had to overcome. But yet, you know, they still put their faith in him. What we do see in their faith is a sincerity, a faith that is unfeigned, meaning there really isn't any hypocrisy in it at all. They knew what they knew of Jesus at that point in time, they believed. Just what Jairus had saw and heard, listen, Jesus is about going into that two-year period of his life and ministry. There's not one person who doesn't know Jesus in this area right now. So he had seen it. He has seen something within his life. And the reason I bring that up, because we all come from different backgrounds. Listen, listen up, kids. We all have different backgrounds. We all come, some of us might come from a very religious back, background. And what we know of Jesus comes from that. We might even have some kind of crazy charismatic background. So what we know of Jesus and faith comes from that. You might have a very conservative background. And yet, it just might be, that's all you know about him. And, but if you come to Jesus, no matter what your background is, if it is sincere faith, it might not be the purest. Jesus will meet you there. No matter what it is you're struggling with. If you go to him. Even if you think you've got to jump over some, some obstacles or you know, gymnastics. If you get there, Jesus will honor that faith. You know, again, um, this guy who comes to Jesus, uh, he's taking a, a, a great chance, Jairus is, because of his position. You notice there in verse 22, it says that he is a ruler of the synagogue. Now, what is a ruler of a synagogue? He's not a Pharisee and he's not a Sadducee. And yet he is a religious ruler. In fact, in that area, uh, within the, that precinct of the Jewish synagogue, he would have taken care of all the physical aspects of that worship. He would be the one coming early. He would be, he's the Wands and Jerry's, right? And he is uh, well-respected. Um, and you know, you, you have to see this, that the Holy Spirit emphasizes that point, that he is a ruler, because you could just read this account and just leave out his position as a ruler and you would just have another man. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit wants you and I to know that here is a guy that's, number one, very religious. Uh, number one, he is very respected. He is very wealthy, by the way. 
He has no needs, no wants. Everything is taken care of him. And, and, and in his position in the community, probably one of the most respected men of the community. Uh, and at this point in time, too, by the way, um, most religious leaders, most of the religious leaders began really despising Jesus. In fact, at this point in his ministry, they begin to plot his death. So this guy coming to Jesus is laying everything out on the line. You know, he's going to lose his job security. Everything he has worked for all his life is going to be gone. You think of the dignity and his career and all that gone. But you know what? Why? It's because of the love for his daughter. He's willing to let everything go because of love. Just let, oh, I don't care. And, 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 you, and, and, and I'll tell you this too. That every, every one of us in this room... We have all found ourselves on that road, the path of Jairus. Every one of us. If not, you will. Every one of us will come to a crisis or will come to some kind of thing in our lives where all our security and all our finances and all, all of our reputation, you know, this, this thing will outstrip it all. You will find yourself standing there and standing alone and you're willing to let everything go in order for that one person, if that's just that one person, could just be touched and healed. You gotta, you, you know, you've gotta, you gotta think of this too. If it wasn't for this crisis in Jairus' life, right? Never happened. You think about it. Jairus would have gone on the rest of his life and this life of prestige and this life of, of just false security, you know. If it wasn't for this, this, this tragedy, this, this catat, he would have kept going on without Christ. It is this very thing that happened to his daughter that brought him to the foot of Christ to beg, to beseech him for healing upon his daughter. Now, what, what does that tell us, you know? Without, sometimes without these disturbances in our lives, how many of us would have just kept on going and have never sought God? You know, some people really do. You know, they, they have this, this, this sort of like this fairy tale life, you know, and they never have a, a sense in their heart, a, a, a need for God. They just, they'll go on and, and then as soon as a tragedy happens, you and I, we get the calls, don't we? Would you please pray? You, you, you know, I see this over and over and over when it comes to drug addiction. Not, not one time, not one time do you see them at a prayer meeting. Not one time do you see them reaching out to God. And then their kids get hooked on drugs. And now they're crying out for the church to start praying for them. And he'll meet you there. If, if that's all you know, he'll, he's not going to be a respecter of person. But where were we before the tragedy? Where were we before the, the disturbances? Why do we wait to be on Jairus' road? You know, it's just, it just baffles me. My, my, my youngest son, Harrison, the son of Harry, you know, called me up when I was at a pastor's conference. Pop, what is lupus? And I go, I don't know. 
He goes, would you find out for me? So I call my doctor. I got one of these good doctors. I'm a friend. And I go, hey, Tim, what's lupus? And he goes, oh, that, that could really be deadly. I said, excuse me? He goes, oh, yeah, that, 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 you got to really be careful that they treat it with chemotherapy and all that. So I called my son. I said, why are you asking me about lupus? He goes, because I was just diagnosed with it. Oh, here's a dad on his knees crying throughout the pastor's conference. Oh, my God. I don't know what lupus is. And then next thing you know, I see my son at a church service. You see, you see what disturbances can do. But I'm not sure if that's the purest faith or if that's even a walk of faith. He will, he will meet us, no doubt. He will, he will intervene. But now if you'll notice, you know, that in verse 24, Jesus went with him and much people again uh, followed him, thronged him, pressed in on every side, right? And then uh, you, you, you just think that when, that when Jesus said, I'll go with you, the hope that must have just welled up inside, okay, everything's going to be a-okay, right? Jesus is going to come. You know, but then there's that interruption in verse 25. A certain woman which had an issue of blood for 12 years. She too is in need. She too has come into a disturbance in her life. A, you know, a catastrophe, a, a, um, a something that uh, a chronic, probably a chronic uh, menstrual disorder. You know, we're not just talking about, you know, a few extra days, lady. It tells us 12 years. In fact, in, in, in uh, verse 29, it's described as a, a hemorrhage, a flowing of blood. And just think, of the, she's gone to so many physicians. She's gone to so many doctors trying to find a cure for this, this condition, you know. And has she given up? You know, has she just given up all hope? You know, the, you, the thing about this, and I think some people miss this, in her, in this story. She's just not physically ill. No doubt she's weak. She's anemic. She's lost so much blood over all these years. No energy. But what people sometimes um, miss is there's also a mental issue that's going on here as well. Imagine going to a doctor and a doctor saying, oh, I don't really know what to tell you. Let me send you to another one. Then you go to another doctor and then you, you know, well, let me do some blood work. And the blood work comes back. Well, we're not really sure, but there's something wrong. Imagine how that would mess with your mind. For crying out loud, man, will you just tell me what's wrong and give me a pill? None of that for 12 years. And I, I know most of us probably were not like, uh, you know, what's that thing where you always think you're sick? hypochondriac, right? We're not always a hypochondriac, but after 12 years, every time a bump would come out on your skin, oh my, what's wrong now, right? Imagine the mental illness there, the mental disturbances that she's actually going through. Not only mental, but think of her finances now. She has wasted it. Oh my goodness, a lot of us can amen that one, you know, but all the money. She, the Bible tells us she spent every dime on trying to get well. And then, of course, there's also the, the spiritual issues as well. Because she now has this, this condition, the Levitical law says now she is an unclean person. And she's not allowed to touch any other human being. If she touches a man, the man actually would have to go through a ceremonial washing and then present himself to the priest again with an offering. 
she comes into the house, the house could be unclean. She is totally ostracized now. She's not allowed home. She's not. Most people believe this started when she had a baby. So she's married. Not allowed to ever have another. Well, during this condition, never could touch her husband again. Couldn't touch her children again. Spiritually speaking, she's not allowed back in the synagogue. She's not allowed on the Temple Mount. Boy, doesn't this just draw a beautiful picture. Said, no wonder she's desperate. Now, here she is. She had heard that Jesus, I don't know what she heard, but she knew that Jesus was in the area. She, too, like Jairus, knows something something supernatural about this guy named Jesus. She comes in from the behind and tries to get through the crowd. In other words, all the back. She's coming from behind. Why? She's afraid to touch a man. She's afraid to be seen touching a man. Most likely, and I've seen artworks that I think depicts it pretty accurately. She's on her hands and knees just trying to get between the legs, trying to get to Jesus. She's a desperate, desperate woman, just like Jairus. But she's going to get to him. Even if she makes other people unclean, in her mind. Something happens, though. She touches him. She knows right away in verse 29 that her, the fountain within her, the blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed. Man, she was really in tune with her body, wasn't she? But she thought, if I could just get there, I, that would happen. I would be made whole. You know, you guys know I love digging through the Greek words and all. And I find the word whole uh, sozo, S-O-Z-O. It's a very short word. It's only mentioned 110 times throughout the New Testament. But it's a word used to say to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction. And I often wonder how many, how many of us, if we were that desperate, just would press through the crowd like Jairus, if I could just Get to Jesus. I don't care about my money. I don't care about my reputation. But my daughter would be made whole. Saved from danger. Rescued from destruction. Guys, I'm telling you something. There is something more powerful in prayer. Than we can imagine. And I'm not talking about our daily prayers. Where we just. Pray for the day and that they're great. I'm not minimizing that as well. But to get into a place in life where you're going to, you say within yourself, I am going to be gyrus today and I'm going to forget about everything and just get to Jesus. Or, or like this dear woman, I am going to press and I'm going to get through and I need to be made whole. I need to, I need to be touched, delivered, healed. I think, and it's just my personal opinion, is that's why you don't see the gift of miracles within the church today. I, I don't think it has anything to do whatsoever about our doctrine or our theology. I think, I think the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, has caused the church to become very lethargic. And we no longer have prayer meetings like that, where we will stay day, not days, that's a prayer meeting, days, um, but where you just stay and you beseech God and you just cry out to God for whatever it is. If, if, if it's a loved one that needs 
salvation, if it's a son or daughter that needs deliverance or healing, that you're willing to do it. We might do a lot of crying, but do we do a lot of praying? And I, this, is, this is not at some kind of guilt trip. It's just truth. It's reality. Look across Christendom today, across the board. You can have a church of 10,000 people turn Sunday night into a prayer meeting, and within a period of time, there will only be a couple hundred people praying. Same here. If we did that here at first, it would be really large, dwindled down to a handful of people, which I would be happy with. But we're not going to see the power and the, and, and the dudamus and the authority without prayer pressing through. It's not going to happen. And I guess it's up to us whether or not we're just going to buckle down and do it. Amen, church? Remember, it's not a guilt thing. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. He wasn't going to let her escape, was he? She tried to get out of there real quick. Bail out. I touched him. Oh, and by the way, just a little FYI. We don't see it in scriptures, but um, what we do see is uh, uh, we actually see it in uh, uh, what we call external evidence, you know, mannerisms and customs. That the the scribes and the Pharisees, to, to show how spiritual they were, they would just they would have a certain tassel on the end of their their garb, right? And the wider your tassel showed how more spiritual you were. And that's why when Jesus, and I think it was Matthew 5, he goes, look, you guys brought in your phylacteries, you know, because you want people to think you're all that. And what Jesus was saying in a very polite way, you're not, you're all not, you know, you're not all that. But see, I don't fault her for trying to reach out because this is what she knows of Jesus, This is all she knows, that if I could just press and grab a hold of the hem of Jesus's garment. See, he, too, had something around his garment. It wasn't broad. It wasn't wide. But she thought that's the spiritual part of Jesus. If I could just reach and touch that, man, I know that something miraculous will happen. Well, she goes and she touches it. And sure enough, she knows The blood issue dries up. She knows she's healed of this plague. But Jesus also knows that something's happened. He uses the word there uh, where it talks about virtue in verse 30. Jesus immediately knows within himself that virtue, I thought this was mind-boggling. The word virtue literally is the same word we get, well, dynamite, dunamis from. He felt power. Not exousia, that's what I thought the word would say. An authority to command healing would have won. This is power that's gone out of Jesus. And he knew it. He sensed that this, this virtue had gone out of him. But the thing that blows my mind is he's turning around to see who it was. He's going to get her. Listen, Jesus always gets her, his gal, you know. Even in the midst of the people thronging Jesus. And two, by the way, I love this. We've got a few hundred people here this morning. There's only two people that knows what's happened. Only Jesus and this girl. And I love that. Just like like when Jesus went over to the other side, he went over to the other side just for one man, a demoniac. And so too, he's here for one person this morning. And if something's happening in, the, in your heart right now or maybe a little later on, 
He's come specifically for you. Just one. And he knows you. He knows the troubles you're going through. He knows the disturbances in your life. He knows you all too well. And he's not going to let you go. You're not going to hide. Isn't that glorious? We could do a sermon on that alone, couldn't we? And another thing that I, I just love about this too. The disciples, these sharp guys, you know. What? All these people and you got to turn around and say somebody touched you. Hello, Jesus. Harry's paraphrase, but that's. No, he looks around in verse 32. And another thing is no rebuke. She thought she was going to be rebuked. I get that from verse 33 where he says she's the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her came, fell down before him and told him all the truth. How long did that take? Can you imagine that dialogue between Jesus and this young this woman? Can you see can you see Jesus saying, When did this start? And when I had a child. I'd spent all my money on doctors and I know maybe I shouldn't have come in and touched you, you know, and but she's fearing. And I love this. There's not one rebuke. Not one rebuke. Now if there's anything he calls her daughter there in verse 34. Tuthgater is the Greek word. Some people say it is a, a term of endearment. And it is. It is. Some even try to translate it this little lamb. That's a real far stretch in the Greek language. But it sounds nice. It literally means if, if you want to really put a great spin on this thing. He just called her the daughter of God. That's what the word daughter means. The daughter of God accepted to God, rejoicing in God's particular care and his protection. That's what that word means. It doesn't mean little lamb. And it's a nice Bible story. But our Savior just called her a daughter of God. Not some girl that was dealing with a plague or someone who was just here. This is a daughter of God. Did you know that, ladies, that you are a daughter of God? You really are. And sometimes we don't, we, we forget that. Husbands, we do. Every time we argue with our wives, we should think, I'm arguing God's daughter. I better stop. And you know, ladies, I can't let you off. <laughs> that every time you disrespect your husband, you're disrespecting God's son. It goes both ways. It really does. So I love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, you respect your husband as you would respect the Lord. Make sense, guys? There's your marriage counseling 101. You don't need any more. You do those two things, man. You don't even need to read another book. Notice again, as I started off with this earlier this morning... I'm not minimizing her faith because Jesus himself said, your faith has made you whole, not some psychosomatic kind of thing. It's just, just no hocus pocus, just her faith. Just her faith. So not only is she enjoying physical healing, but she's also going to enjoy spiritual healing, social healing. Everything in her life is going to be flipped upside down and just... Just that one act of just pressing through to touch Jesus' garments. You know, today as I look at the church and I see people 
following Jesus, being thronged, big religious groups, you know, being jostled about, you know, being jostled around with Jesus and touching the hem of his garment is two entirely different things. You can go with the crowd and go with the movements and go with the jostling or you can have your eyes just focused on one thing and that is to get to Jesus. And I think that is a walk of faith, not the other. Sometimes we look at those large crowds and we think that's maturity. In my point of view, that is not maturity. Anybody can go with a crowd. But who will give up everything for a daughter, for a son? Who would give up everything just to get to that one man who can take care of that problem? That to me is a walk of faith. The other is Christian life. I think sometimes it's just a wake-up call for us. You know, this whole story is sort of like a wake-up call because we're all bleeding. You know, life is in the blood, right? Every day we're bleeding, spiritually speaking. In fact, when you're done this service, you're never going to be able to go back to it. You've bled it out. And people are bleeding today, folks. They're bleeding out spiritual life. And unless they get to Jesus, they're going to bleed out until, until death, spiritually speaking. That's why we need a walk of faith. We need to be able to tell people, hey, it might not be the purest faith, but what you know of Jesus, get to him. It says in verse 35 that while he was speaking, the ruler of the synagogue his house. Certain which said, hey, your daughter is dead. Why are you troubling the master any further? As things couldn't get worse. See, what they're thinking is that Jesus could have done something before she died, but now it's too late. But look what he says in verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the words that was spoken, he says unto the ruler, Jairus, he says, be not afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. You know, because it's in the present tense, literally it means stop fearing, just keep on believing. In other words, what he was saying to Jairus, five minutes ago, you didn't have this fear. But now you heard something, and now you're fearing. You've got to go back, just remember, keep trusting. Don't fear, just keep believing. You know what, guys? Um, when we hear things like this and fear starts to really grip our hearts, the worst thing we could do ever is to think, well, if I read 25 books or if I just go see several counselors or, or go, fall into the whole self-condemnation thing, it's my fault. Right? Um, that fear will never go away. Um, I think that what is so important is that we remember those few words. Don't fear, but just keep on believing. Guys, I was... I'll try to share this delicately, but there was somebody talked to me not too long ago. 
that uh, God had spoken these words to her. And it was in reference to her, um, her daughter. And, um, and she was just really surprised of the different angles that would cause her to, to doubt. And what she said to me um, the other night was um, she had to go back to exactly what God had told her during this time of crisis. That, that God's got this. That's what he spoke to her. That God's got this. He's got her daughter. And she needed to just stay focused on that and keep believing. See, what happens is God can speak to your hearts. He will speak to your heart. You're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. And that's what we hang on to. We don't let our the circumstances that surround it dictate whether we're going to start to fear and, and to give up on those precious promises. Amen? So be careful of that. You're going through something and God speaks to your heart. Embrace that. Even well-intended people trying to help you out could only, might even cause you to trip. Just stay focused on what God has promised you, right? God's got this. God's got this. I love how Jesus protects Jairus. He sends all the scoffers out. And by the way, the reason why there's so many mourners there, because in their culture, the more mourners you had, it showed that how much you loved that person who passed away. If you were a poor person, you made sure you had one flute player and one mourner. And, but if you were rich, oh my goodness, you had people throwing dirt up in the air and ripping their clothes. They don't even know the guy. They don't even know that he was hired to mourn. And I love this about Jesus because he gets rid of the scoffers. He gets rid because they're only going to be a, a hindrance. And I'll, I'll tell you something. What you need to do, what I need to do from time to time, and maybe just for a season, you're going through something like a Jairus or this woman. Get rid of your scoffers. Those that are to just to trying to give you a bad count, just set them aside and remember what God has told you. Just for a season. I'm not saying stop loving on them. But at that point in time, all you need right now is to get to Jesus. Amen, guys? But Jesus is very protective of Jairus here. You notice in verse 41 where Jesus comes in and uses that word damsel, by, takes her by the hand. Talithia kumai, which it being interpreted means um, damsel, I say unto you, rise. And again, that's exactly what it means. It doesn't mean anything more than that. Straightway the damsel rose, rose, and she walked, for she was of age, 12 years old. And they were astonished, with great astonishment. That literally means, can I give you a paraphrase? Jesus just rocked their world. It literally means to be thrown out of position. That was, this was so astonishing. Well, that something like this would happen, you know. And one translation rendered it, it made everyone go out of their minds. And, uh, but he charges them, again, not to tell anybody. And uh, he, wants, he wants mom and dad to give her something to eat. And uh, listen, why did he, why did he say, um, Rich, you can make your way up or out where we are? Why did, uh, why did he say, don't, don't tell anyone? Well, first of all, you know, she's been dead a, few, a while, right? He's, he, you know, it's obvious she was dead. I mean, Jesus said, um, 
she's only asleep. But that was a phrase they used to use to say that this isn't the end of the story. And so, but here this little girl is, is dead. And Jesus walks up to Luthi Kumi, meaning da- damsel arise, uh, daughter of God, daughter. Um, but then says, don't tell anybody. How do you keep that a secret anyway? Is, isn't that your daughter? No, nope, so look alike. I mean, that's crazy. Listen, Jesus was really going through some serious stuff. Getting close to two and a half years or, or so. He's already set his face of flint to go to Jerusalem to die. Some groups have tried to force him to be some kind of a king. Other people want to kill him. And I think what he said, this is not going to help me if this gets out. I, I really do. And, and plus, I don't think Jesus wants our faith based on miracles. I really don't. Again, I think that that's not the purest faith also. What pure faith is, gang? Listen, look up here. Is getting to Jesus. That's pure faith. You know, if we start, if we start putting a formula how to, just to, to grow in faith and, Look, we all know that faith is the substance of things that we're hoping for, the evidence of things that we don't really see. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, reading our Bibles. But my goodness, that trip, if you just had enough faith, only believe. I'm trying here. You know what I mean? Listen, just in closing, some might ask, What about those who come to Jesus and yet maybe someone passes away anyway? I don't think the passage is teaching us that when Jesus goes to every sick person or when we ever when we lay hands on every person that they'll be well. I don't think that's what it's teaching at all. I I think one of the proper lesson is that anyone that Jesus comes to, or I mean, man goes to Jesus, he will not be a respecter of person and reject them. But you see, if someone does die, then it's obvious that it wasn't his will that, that they would live. So what is his love? What is his will? You want to know what his will is? Supreme wisdom and supreme love. That's it. Supreme wisdom and supreme love. We pray for somebody. Lord, please heal them, please heal them, please heal them. God heals them and he ends up murdering somebody. You wonder, is that what God, was that God's will? Is it not God's will that he gracefully and graciously takes someone home to get them out of their suffering? Listen, God has a supreme wisdom and a supreme love. And if we're coming to Jesus, no matter what happens... Don't be afraid. Just keep on believing. That's the bottom line. Let's stand together. Now, I don't think this message is so much about Jairus' daughter or this woman's issue, her plague. I think it's the Holy Spirit is trying to show us what real, genuine faith looks like. And this just again, I hope I'm not being too repetitive, but I can't get it out of my mind. Just get to Jesus, no matter what the cost is.
no matter what the obstacle is. This gal had a lot of them, didn't she? And God turns around her and calls her the daughter of God. It's glorious. And maybe you're going through something, you know, a tragedy, crisis in your life. You know, God doesn't expect you to go out and do an exegesis through the Gospels and memorize the book of Philippians. He just expects you to come to Him, what you know of Him. And I promise you, His wisdom and His love will be demonstrated in your life, period. Amen, church? Father, we love you so much. And we thank you so much that you're concerned about the little details and even the crisis that we find ourselves in at times. You are a God that so loved us, so loved the world you gave. I pray, Father God, that if there's anyone here this morning, they're praying for a son, they're praying for a daughter. You would speak to them, Lord. Maybe it's a verse. Maybe it's a phrase. Maybe it's something they heard before. But would you let them know, God, that you do have this. Hmm. And fear thou not, for I am with thee. And don't be dismayed. I am your God. And I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That's what we need, Lord. And I believe, fathers, we trust you. That will be a demonstration of our faith. It's in Jesus' name. Let's worship. Well.